Hello and welcome to another episode of Lore Council, the podcast from Shieldwall Productions where we talk about anything and everything lore related. And in keeping with our theme lately, numerically speaking, this episode, episode 17, is all about the 17th Legion, the Word Bearers. And on this episode, we have myself, John, and Nathan, the Arch Heretic himself, <laughs> the War Master himself. So we're going to talk about how you got corrupted, Nathan. Chaos looked cool. Chaos looked cool because Lorgar <laughs> was very convincing in yes. a very sneaky way. Well, starts with Erebus and Corpharon. Yes, but before we get to that, okay, because I've got notes forever, for the first time in a while. It's heresy, so he had to take notes. Yeah, I'm not as well versed. That's okay. Um. Anyway, let's start with uh. Terror during the Unification Wars. They're actually first called the Imperial Heralds, um, and they would, anytime they would conquer a city or Lakeland or whatever, they would empty the libraries and records of anything that was considered heretical or sorcerous, and they would destroy such things in the name of the Imperial Truth, which it, it earned them the nickname the Iconoclasts during the Unification Wars. Um, so basically, even without Lorgar, they're very, they're very zealots. From the get-go. Yes. From the get-go. Lorgar, meanwhile, on Colchis, which... Very, very spiritual planet. Yes. Spiritual in a foreshadowy sort of way. Yes. They worshipped all sorts of gods. They had pantheons. A lot of which were just various iterations of the Chaos Gods. Well, and lesser Chaos Gods. The four main and several lesser. I said various iterations thereof. Yes. Um, well, the lesser ones are their own gods. Yes. Um, true. True. Um, According to Libra Chaotica. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Which is sitting right there, usually. Where'd it, you put it? It might be over on okay. a different chair now. It, it, which is weird, because I don't remember literally anyone touching it since I placed it on that shelf. Which is a little concerning, Nathan. Because... It's a fun book. Yeah, but if no one... If I can't recall anyone actually moving it... Don't worry, I think someone actually did grab it for a reference. Okay. I'm a little less concerned about uh, it having a mind of its own. Oh, it does. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, but Lorgar and Colchis, in response to it, he's had, along with a couple of other Primarchs having visions, like Kurs, Sanguinius, he had... Lorgar had visions of the Emperor coming to Colchis and all the things the Emperor would bring, and so he leads the unification of Colchis and eradicates all the old faiths in preparation for it. And as soon as the Emperor shows up, he immediately swears fealty to the Emperor upon scenes like, yep, this is exactly how I saw it. I know who you are. He's one of the primarchs that's like, didn't question it. Yep. Because I feel like out of all of them, Lorgar is going to be like the least likely to question it before things get a little wonky with him. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Logar himself was the one Primarch who went heretic that Malkador, the Sigilite, wanted wished back. He could re- re- mm-hmm. wished he would come back. Yeah. And when Malkador told who the Dorn? Yeah. Dorn was like, why? He was the, like the original cancer that poisoned the heart of all of the traitor Primarchs. And Malkador was like, yeah, but he was also kind of the best of you because he was the most earnest and dedicated. And the only reason he turned was because his dedication was scorned. We need him now more than ever to unite the Imperium against the, the heresy that he himself has wrought. <laughs> and 
Dorn still didn't understand. No. Dorn. Dorn. Dorn was great with physical things. Yes. He was beyond, He was great at holding out on a siege. He was mm-hmm. great at laying siege. He was good a good tactician for the battlefield, not so much for the morale part of the war. Yes, he was a very much straightforward, practical... He had very much straight-minded uh, for straightforward, practical stuff. The abstract concepts such as psycholo- psyche and the nature of that sort of morale, like you just said, kind of ironically flew over his head. Yeah. Belief plays a huge part in people's ability to fight. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, and I recall quickly on that same note when Nakoto was talking to him about that, it was because he Nakoto was then trying to poke at Dorn, trying to figure out what Dorn was really afraid of yeah. about the heresy. And it turns out Dorn's fucking terrified of Kurz. Because Kurz was the one who damn near killed him and proved that Dorn is super killable. Uh-huh. It just takes a lot, but if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be one of the half one of the one of his trees and his brethren, out of anyone in the galaxy, one of them's gonna be able to do it, and one of them already almost did. Yep. He's afraid of his own mortality. Even though Malkador arrived at the notion, I think he's like, "You're afraid of fear, haha." It's <laughs> like, no, you're so close. <laughs> um, but worlds brought under the uh, un- into compliance by the word bearers were taught to worship the emperor as a god. Kind of unbeknownst to the like unbeknownst, but also sort of beknownst. Not really said anything about by the emperor, and he then Lord turned Color, a blind eye until it got really zealot when he wrote the uh, document called the Lectitio Divinitatis, also which, known as the Book of Logar, the first Book of Logar, first Book of Logar, yes, because there is the revised version, yes, which we'll get to. But the Lectitio Divinitatis became a base for the entire Imperial Creed, all the way through 40k. Yes, the groundwork. At that point, the Emperor's like, okay, enough's kind of enough at this point, bud. And so he sends the Ultramarines to um, destroy Monarchia, which is called the perfect city on the planet of uh, Kur, to kind of punish the word bearers and also get the entire legion to respond. Yes. Because he allows these inhabitants to send out a single distress signal directed specifically to all word bearers' fleets before destroying the perfect city, which was made as like the perfect vision of the um, divinity of the Emperor and worship of the Emperor. So the Legion makes Planetfall inlanders, not as a combat drop, but they're just kind of deployed, like, told to assemble there. And then Lorgar's personal dropship comes down, flanked by two Ultramarine Stormbirds with guns pointed directly at it. It's not an escort, like a honor guard. It is a prison escort, basically. It is a punishment escort. And then Lorgar gets off and, you know, is kind of pissed off that his favorite city just got obliterated. Yeah. And then he sees... Malkador and Gilliman in front of just a small thin line of Ultramarines bodyguards and Malkador and Gilliman kind of like, hey, stop. Enough's enough. Um, and Lorgar's getting more and more angry. Especially that Malkador, a mere, in his eyes, mere mortal, is trying to tell him what to do, what his father's wishes are. And actually backhands Malkador. And the only reason he doesn't kill him is because Malkador's a psyker and... yeah. Malkador is stronger than most Primarchs. Mm-hmm. And then he also takes a swing at Gilliman and cracks Gilliman's ch- uh, chest plate. Not with a weapon, he just punches, like, yeah. you know, like the like pommel fist or whatever. When Gilliman's like, you know, Lorgar, you're being childish and petty. And Lorgar's just like, oh yeah, I'll show you childish and petty! <laughs> and just open hand swing and cracks Gilliman's chest plate. And Malkador's just like, 
and then looks up just to the empty skies and says, he won't listen, my lord. And Lorgar's like, oh, no, 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 no. Big boom, Emperor teleports down. And Lorgar's like, you know, just thinking, this isn't happening. And the first thing the Emperor says is kneel. And psychically forces every single Wardbearer's legionary and Lorgar to fall to their knees and re-pledge their fealty and loyalty to his secular imperial truth. Which was kind of humiliating for all of them involved, especially since there was Gilliman and the Ultramarine standing right there. Yeah. And that made Lorgar very much kind of hate Gilliman for a multitude of reasons, but mostly kind of made Lorgar think that it kind of reinforced Lorgar's personal belief that Gilliman was a little um, elitist and haughty. He was. He was. Um, but then it was kind of later re- revisited during the Shadow Crusade, which we'll get to, when Gilliman gives him a very similar look to when he get that one he gave him on Monarchia, and Lorgar realizes it's not a, you know, looking down your nose, you know, elitist and haughty, it's like, it was more of, he realizes Gilliman's just like, he's kind of like an older brother, just like, Can't sympathy, just... like, like sympathy, empathy, like, I know you mean well, but what have you done, sort of thing, like, like, kind of like, frustrated heartbreak sort of thing. And then Lorgar realizes he's kind of fucked up in a big way at that point. He's like, I may have overreacted. <laughs> um, and at this point, the Lorgar returns to Colchis and seeks counsel and advice from none other than Magnus about the... Well, let's be honest, though. <clears throat> if, you're, if you're Lorgar, who else can you turn to for intelligent conversation? Especially for advice about metaphysical things. Correct, because... Magnus having the strongest connection with the warp, mm-hmm. he might not understand the deities of that thereof, but he understands the powers they're in. Mm-hmm. And not a whole lot of people liked Lorgar. Not a whole lot of Primarchs really liked Lorgar. Kind of looked him as kind of like the blunt of the litter, the kind of yeah. weakling. And not a whole lot of people liked Magnus because all the sorcery just like mm. you're good at one thing and you're not and you're not allowed to do it. Well, it was even before the Council of Nikea. Not people a lot of people liked Magnus because he was kind of like detached and it's like I have a superior intellect and all that sort of thing and it's like but Magnus understood Lorgar he's like I, Lorgar I understand you mean well and the whole bearers of the word thing kind of sort of loose kindred spirit of Magnus and the Thousand Sons acquiring all knowledge and Lorgar and his word bearers reformatting it to be taught throughout the Imperium yes. kind of a joint mission so there's kind of that bond between them and Magnus was always kind of fond of Lorgar so he's more than happy to give Lorgar advice until Lorgar starts asking about the warp and like what's really in the warp and Magnus is like I'm not sure I'm super on board with where this conversation is going. <laughs> and finally, Lorgar kind of, you know, pokes and like, come on, what's really, you know, what's going on there? He's like, well, there's these sentient warp storms. Because he's like, I will not call them gods because they're not. They're just sentient warp storms. That's all. And he explains it. And Lorgar's like, yeah, you're calling them sentient warp storms. But you know what that sounds like to me? Gods. It's a manifestation of similar types of conscious and subconscious thoughts mm-hmm. that combine together in this parallel universe that form its own being. Yep. And then Magnus is like, no, but seriously, like, don't fuck with that shit. <laughs> don't like, touch that. That's the yeah. big red button you don't want to touch. Yeah, don't touch that. Like, I, there's a lot of reasons why you shouldn't, but uh, for other reasons, I can't really get into that. <laughs> um, personal reasons. Lorgar. So just don't. Don't do it. Lorgar's like, okay. 
and then Magnus leaves. He's like, so hey, Erebus, Corfair, remember those? Remember the whole all those religions that we stomped out before the Emperor showed up? Remember that one with the uh, squiggly line writing that made the eyes hurt? That sounds kind of like what let's Magnus was just talking about. Let's investigate that a little let's bit Let's investigate more. that. And, and Herb is just like, yes, let's. Let's go on what's called the pilgrimage to this, the mythical place where gods and mortals meet. And so they rejoin the Great Crusade as a ruse for this, as a cover. Like, yep, we're back to the Great Crusade, and we mean it this time. And sort of to their credit, during that time, they actually bring in more worlds to compliance than the 50 years prior to that. Because when they would bring worlds and systems in compliance, they'd be so methodical and they'd take for fucking ever compared to other legions. Because they would actually stay behind. Rather than just conquer, okay, done. They'd conquer and... They would stay behind to teach the new worlds. They'd integrate them. Yes. Rather than just, okay, you're one of us, bye. They'd fully integrate them. Um, and as they're doing, as they're on, they return to the Great Crusade, they're accompanied by custodians by order of Malkador, the Emperor, to kind of, you know, keep watch, like... Hey, great that you're rejoining the crusade like we asked you to a little here's while some, here's back. Some, uh, here's but, some um, help. Yeah, here we're going to send these guys to make sure that, you know, everything's on level. And... Uh, sort of, sort of not. Um, but the 1,301st Expedition Fleet with Lorgar finally makes it to a little tiny backwater called Cadia. <laughs> which is right next to this giant gaping wound in space between real space and the warp. They the largest such rupture. The largest such rupture. And they meet an individual, a native Cadian, named Ingathel, who, not long after they meet her, ascends to demonhood and becomes Ingathel the Ascended. And then she's like, cool. So here's a little taste of what's out there, just beyond this planet. Um, you guys... What do you call this? Serrated Sun chapter? Alright. Get on your ship. Come, I'm going to lead you into the Eye of Terror. And Lorgar's just like, okay. Demon leads the Serrated Sun along Sun chapter along with their commander Argo Tal in, and explains to them the downfall of the, of the Eldar and pitches it as the Eldar were given a glimpse of the primordial truth and rather than accepting it they faltered at the last step, and that's what caused the downfall in the giant wound in space, rather than what actually happened, which was they murder fucked a god into existence. <clears throat> well, they brought a god into existence, and by bringing a god into existence, pledged themselves to it well, unwillingly. The ter- the the eye of terror itself is a terror in reality because once Solanash had existed, it had always existed. Yes, reality and timelines could not comprehend it. Tore. The birthplace of Sunash apart. Which also happened to be the center of the Eldar Empire. Yeah. Did not go well. No. Did not go like, well. Hey, look, now there's a god, but it, now it's always been there. Yeah. Didn't go well. And while they're in there, they end up, the those word bearers of the Serrated Sun chapter end up becoming the first possessed marines. In a much more, like, dual symbiotic relationship than the ones that would come after. Yes where it was kind of a shared inhabitants of the body rather than a taking over thereof. Kind of waxed and waned depending on time and need and I don't know if the stars were aligned apparently. <laughs> no, I mean, like that's kind of how it felt yeah. like sometimes. Um, but then, you know, they go in and 
on Lorgar's end, outside the wound, they haven't been gone for more than a couple of hours. But then they finally make contact, and it's Argyll Tall, and he's this, like, gaunt, emaciated figure just hunched on the command throne. He's like, we've been trying to make contact for six months. And Lorgar's, oh, right. Um, all right, warp distorts time, but um, we'll put a pin in that. Uh, how long? And what the fuck happened? Because they've been there for six months, they ran out of supplies, and it kind of had to cannibalize the crew. But that's okay, because the demons knew, you know, helped. Yeah. Pilot the ship back, and especially Inga, they helped pilot the ship back into real space, now that they've been shown the primordial truth. And Lorgar, upon seeing this, when upon, you know, learning all this, is like, I should have gone with you. You are my sons. It was not right of me to stand by and let you go into this unknown place in my place. I should have been there at your side. And he was very regretful of it. Which is interesting, because that's not the first time something similar, something like that has happened with regards to chaos. Quick little tangent. Zinch. Yeah, Zinch. There's this wonderful little warp storm of all knowledge in the universe. Ever. That and ever was of, and will be. And instead of going into it, he sent one of his... He sent Kairos into it. Not so much sent as pushed. You know, sent, thrown, whatever. It's a matter of wording. Because he himself did not want to go in there. Because that shit seemed scary. Seemed like it could possibly backfire in a variety of horrible ways. And now Kairos can see the present and the past. Sorry, he can see the future and the past, but not the present. Yeah. One head always tells the truth. Well, one head will tell the truth as the other lies. I'm really pretty sure they actually switch which one does which. Yes. And I brought this up for a reason. Because after that happens with Lorgar, and you know he's like, I should have gone into the war in there with you. He then turns to Ingot and I was like, show me what you showed them. And Ingothel's like, we don't really have... And he's like, show me what you showed them, or we're done here. And Ingothel's just like, okay, come on. And they go to what was once an Eldar craft world that's been since consumed and just laid waste to. Guess who's waiting for him? Kairos. But I think after... Oh yeah, well, first what's waiting for them is a mostly dead avatar of Cain that somehow still managed to survive throughout all of that, which kind of beats the shit out of Lorgar, but Lorgar ends up killing, barely, because this is before Lorgar really knew how to fight, learned yeah. how to properly fight, and, like, harnesses into everything, and also, you know, you know, got backed by the Chaos Gods properly. And, you know, Lorgar comes to after blacking out for a little bit after getting kind of stepped on by an avatar. <laughs> and there's Kairos. One has says, no more tests, uh, Anamatha's son... And the other says, one more test. Lorgar's like, I don't really have the patience for this right now. I kind of heard a lot to the everywhere. And then they start, and then both of Kairos' heads start speaking in unison. The exact same things. Saying, all of the pantheon agrees that you are the chosen one to basically bring down the emperor. And here's how you're going to do it. You have our blessings. And both of them are speaking in unison, in sync. There's no switching falsehood, whatever. But in the book, in the novella, it was described as it looking physically uncomfortable for him <laughs> to do. He's like, I, I have never been able to speak this kind of clear and utmost truth for a very long time. This is a very important thing. So you know that I'm telling the fucking truth, Lorgar, listen up. And then the Earth starts, and then the planet starts rumbling. 
and Kyra starts freaking the fuck out, and Logar's like, what now? He's like, um, so, one of the Pantheon kind of wants a little bit more proof now, apparently. Korn sent his favorite bloodthirster. And Kairos, and bo both Kairos and Ingethel are like, Logar, you should probably just run. And Logar's like, uh, no, I can take this. And they're both like, but no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow he does. Yeah. And then Kairos is like, Okay, now they're all in agreement. <laughs> and so he comes out of the weapon, and then he sends Erebus and all, a bunch of other Warbearer chaplains to all as many of the different legions as possible to establish warrior lodges. To start... Vetting them. Vetting them. Yeah. Vetting them, influencing. And it takes in some better than others. Some legions are just like, uh, we already got our version of this. Thanks, but no thanks, you weirdo. <laughs> Funnily enough, I think it was pretty much all of the loyalists who were just like, in... Nah. Well, White Scars did them. That's right. But they were more... Uh, they fewer were one of the, the few Loyalist Legions that were... Fewer of them fell. Fewer of them fell, yes. But enough to where, like... Eh, they don't really like to talk about it. No. But not in a sort of, we have a dark secret that we can't tell anyone. They're just like, what secret? Yeah, those... They, ass, don't, they don't just they don't mention it. Th those dickheads did that. Yeah. They, they're like, yeah, they did that. Fuck those guys, right? But, like, it's in the past, and they're all dead now, and we're all still loyal. There's a dark interest, like, we're still loyal as long as it suits our the, needs. We're the most loyal fence sitters you'll ever find. Mm -hmm. King of the fence post. Um, But it takes, the warrior lodges take very well in, oh, I'd say about roughly half. <laughs> uh, I, I don't even, I don't think the word, world, or the World Eaters really needed Warrior Lodges because they already had the Gladrail Pits. Yes, they were the one of the ones like, thanks, but no thanks. We're kind of doing our own thing. Yeah. And um, you're welcome to join us. And the chaplains are just like, nah. Some of them did. Some of them tried. Yeah. And, you know, they tried to keep up and they did admirably until they couldn't keep up anymore. Uh, Sons of Horus, they took well with. Very well with. Kind of like open arms, just like, yeah, this is awesome. It also helps when the Primarch's part of it. Yeah, because Erebus had the ear of Horus. Yeah. This will be important. Uh, let's see, what else? I want to say Iron Hands, Iron, Iron Wars just didn't care. Yeah, no, because they had their, they also had their own version. Well, they also didn't do Brotherhood. No. Because you had to be willing to kill each other. Right. Decimation. Mm -hmm. That was kind of Pertrabo's thing when he yeah. first found the He was like, that's cool. Um, 9, 10, you take a rock. 9, 10, you take a rock. 9, 10, you take a rock. 9, you take a rock. 10, you're fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but with a lot of other things took well. The Sons of Horus, the Death Guard. Um, Emperor's Children, sort of. Yeah. Because, again, the chaplains kind of got buddy-buddy with Fulgrim. But, but they the also had their own thing going on. But they're also all nobility. Yes. So they didn't really... They, didn't they had the Phoenix Lodge. They had the Phoenix Lodge. They didn't really care about the Lodge as much because they didn't. They already had their own. Yes. Beyond their rank structure, they also had their own standing as who they were and where they're from. Right. Um. So, like, them, it was kind of a mixed, a mixed bag. Yeah. It was be more, went more better with the um, line oh, yeah. battle brothers. It wasn't really meant for the officers, more for the line brothers because... At the end of the day, sure. If all the officers are like, no, we're loyal. If they're still outnumbered, that's cute. <laughs> like, cool, there's ten of you against tens of thousands of us. Cute. Um, went well with the Death Guard. Well enough, anyway. Yeah. 
Um, barring one Nathaniel Guerrero, he was not too keen on that. No, neither was that Gavril Logan from the Sons of Horus. No, he did not like that one bit. Not at all. <laughs> Turns out, hey, he might have been onto something. Yeah. Because uh, it was not long after these war- all these war lodges got established that... They all of a sudden started having these banners with these strange eight-pointed stars on them. Yes. And, and other was, weird glyphs. Yes, and it was not long after uh, Horus became War Master that they find themselves on some alien, like, pseudo-alien, pseudo-human world, whereas, like, aliens and humans live sort of in harmony, like, a, kind of a confederation. And things are going relatively well. well. Like, astoundingly well. Like, you know, they're in talks, they've been invited down to a feast, and, you know, they're kind of like, hey, let's get to know each other sort of thing. Like, it's like, oh, cool, first blind date. But, you know, also, like, the stakes are pretty high here, so... Don't fuck up. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Horace, then Luna Wolves, current, still Luna Wolves. Yes, they were still Luna Wolves at that point. I'm like, yeah, this is great. And then one of the museums catches on fire mysteriously. Sort of. <laughs> and a lot of th- a lot of things go missing from that museum also in the fire, including some exceptionally deadly weaponry. And to be fair, this is a museum, because this is a museum of all the weapons they no longer found use for. Right, or but, wanted to have use for. Because of just how brutal and viciously deadly they were. And maliciously so. Yes. Including a couple of blades known as anathames. Which, handy things. You speak the name of someone and that sword wants to kill it. Will do it very well. Yes. Even the smallest little cut will be fatal because it will not heal. A couple of these go missing. As Erebus kind of a little bit too nonchalantly whistles. It's like, oh, I didn't see anything. As he kind of stuffs some things under a rug. Yeah, Erebus totally set the fire and stole. And it ends up turning into this real bloody war. Yeah. That Angron gets involved in, I think. No. No, that was, no, no, that was a different one. No, that was a, that was that a was one immediately after that, I think. Yes. Or close to. At this point, it was just it was just the little wolves yes, with a right. couple of word bears. That's right. That's right, that Angron thing was a little bit later, because after that, word comes from Davin that they have rescinded their oaths of the Emperor, including the planetary governor, who Horus himself had personally recommended. And the planetary governor personally insults Horus. Yes, which Erebus was very keen to emphasize that this dude said, hey, you, Horus, with the face, fuck you. Because Horus was a lot of things before he turned traitor. Very likable before a turn oh, yeah. trainer. Very also charismatic. Very prideful. Very prideful and had kind of a fragile ego. Because be once he became Warmaster and everyone's telling him what he can and can't do. That was kind point. of that was kind of one of my favorite parts of that book. He's like, like my lord, you can't do. It. He's like, ever since I was elected to Warmaster, people seem to have this interesting illusion where they think they can tell me what I can and cannot do. So here's how it's gonna be. I'm going to Davin. And I'm going to kill that guy more deader. They get to the moon of Davin and... They meet up with the Death Guard. That's right, they do. Uh-huh. They get to the moon, meet up with the Death Guard, and the moon looks kind of sick. Very sick, very swampy, and just very stale air. Stale air, stagnant water. Yeah. Really... No stagnant until bodies start coming out of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. bloated, diseased... And they're wishing they had taken the subsonic rounds because their supersonic rounds were just blowing right through them and leaving them standing. Not doing anything. Because they were literally 
too powerful for the job. Yep. They actually had to resort to melee to get to the crashed Imperial ship that was on the moon that was also the flagship of the planetary governor. Yes. Get in there, because that's where one of the beacons, like the like uh, beacon that was sent, the, 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 the communications beacon yes. that Insult Taurus came from, that was still transmitting the same insults over and over and over, apparently. Horus and, and some of his closest bodyguard, including Abaddon and Loken, right? Mm-hmm. Fight their way through the entire length of the ship, and finally... Oh, Abaddon... Uh, Horse gets separated from them. Yeah, that's right. Horse gets separated. And he finds his old friend, the now governor. The once governor. Yes. Now traitor. His name's important, but I can't remember it. It's been a long time since I read yeah. that book, Nathan. His name's not that important, to be honest. That's right. No. Some people might have changed, but whatever. Okay. Anyway. And Horace tries to reason with him. just like, why did you turn? And also, what the fuck happened to you? When I last left, you were in astoundingly good shape for your age you are now grotesquely bloated and have clear signs of many different virulent diseases ravaging your body what the hell he's like i found a new master who is very giving who won't desert me on some backwater planets yes norse is like but when i gave you command you were profoundly honored and expressed such it's like yeah in front of all the remembrancers. Like, I thought we were close enough to where you would be able to pick up that I was not super keen on this. I wanted to keep the, going on the crusade at your side. I thought we were friends, dude. He's like, well, sorry about that. Yeah, sorry's not good enough. I'm going to kill you. Which is like, that's cute. And this guy's so bloated with everything that when he starts to move, it actually breaks his ankles. But he keeps going because he doesn't notice. And he pulls out a sword. A very interesting sword, and says Horace Lupercal at it. And Horace is like, okay, you've gotten really weird since I last left. An ensuing duel happens, and this guy is holding his own very well against well, the as War Master. Well, despite being bloated and having two broken ankles, he's fighting fast. Very fast. And can deflect an attack. Yes, and Horace, throughout all of it, kind of notices that this guy, like, he's looking, you know, trying to make eye contact, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. He notices that the behind this guy's eyes he is totally just along for the ride that the original consciousness of his friend is still in there totally just along for the ride and Horace is like I need to put an end to this I need to put you out of your misery and also I've got shit to do man but he kind of trips up <clears throat> and throughout the course of the duel this guy had the, the once governor manages to Wedge loose one of Horace's shoulder plates. Scratch his shoulder a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, I feel like tattoos go deeper. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like you and me both, Nathan, have quantifiably had worse tattoo experiences than Horace had with this blade. <laughs> but that's enough. Horace kills him, grabs, and then he's just like, well, that wasn't great. And then the guy finally comes to his senses after, you know, Horace inflicts a truly mortal wound. The spell is broken, and the guy comes to me, he's like, so before I die, I've got to tell you some shit. <laughs> Erebus, and then he dies. <clears throat> yep. It's like, well, that's going to bother me forever. <laughs> 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 then Loken and I think Torgan show up. Yep. Because Abaddon had some trouble fitting his ginormous Dysterian plate through the hallways. He was not a small person before the Dysterian plates. Mm, yeah. And his was special. 
Yes, it was. <laughs> it was bigger. Um, but more maneuverable, too. Yes. Thorgod mm. and Loken show up, find Horus cradling the broken body and seeing the sword, and then they kind of look at Horus and like, you don't look so hot, and also you're still bleeding? It's starting to get infected. Yeah, we're going to go. And Loken picks up the blade and sees a case that mysteriously matches it that is definitely did not originate on that ship or anywhere near it. Like, hmm, this vaguely matches the description of a thing that happened not too long ago. <laughs> this doesn't seem suspicious. Torgadon, I'm going to grab, well, I'm going to put this in the case while he's holding the blade, and he kind of gets the sense for the blade that the blade's just like, kill him, do it. Like, that's really uncomfortable and shuts it in the case because he'd been holding the blade and it had said Torgadon's name. And look at you like, that's not great. That's no fun. This, uh, they met, Horus manages to walk the rest of the way out of the ship, mostly under his own power, sort of supported yeah. by Loken and Thorgodon, but still walking under his own power. Then he gets outside the ship. The spell of all the corpses rising from the mud and swamp is broken. Skies are clearing. Awesome. Horus is like, cool. Florp falls over. And everyone collectively loses their shit. Because that has never happened before. They've and Horus was at Olinor. They've never seen a Primarch go down. Yeah. It was not a thing that had ever happened. Nope. So they pick him up and run back to their ship. Real fast. And when they get on when they get from their transport ship to the ship and there's all these remembrances in the way. Trying to figure they out. They barrel through them without giving a damn. Yep. Fists and elbows and knees and anything that Yep. Yeah. Get out of the way. We have a wounded war master. Yeah. Priority patient here. Make way. A lot of people died. Yeah. The Imperial representatives from Terra were not super thrilled about it. Yeah, and the Lunavolves did not care. Yeah, like, um, yeah, cute. Horus is dying. They're gonna try and demand Space Marine lives for their lives? No. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that's that's adorable. But they're not important. Yeah. They're long for us, for our ride. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Apothecaries are doing everything they possibly can to but, just stabilize Horus. And they can't even stop the bleeding. They can't even stop the bleeding. Not that they ever, and one of them admitted, like, even if this wound was not completely out of the ordinary, if this was just a natural, like, Horus is bleeding sort of thing, like just a deep wound, we still don't understand Primark biology enough to even be able to come close to giving him proper treatment. We barely understand Astartes biology to be able to treat you idiots. That's why most of you end up with just bionics, because it's easier to do that than properly fix you. Because you want to know who understands how to fix you in the Primarchs? The Emperor! You want to know where the Emperor isn't? Here. And so, Sons of Horus, well, sorry, then Luna Wolves, still Luna Wolves, are collectively still losing their shit. And Erebus is just like, so on the world that Davin is orbiting, there's this lodge that's kind of like the one in the uh, Luna Wolves that might be able to help him. But only a, cup, only a few of you would be able to go into their inner sanctum to bring Horus and Logan and Torgon is like that is all kinds of ominous we are not okay with that I was like we're doing it out on a little horse is like adorable I'm first captain let's go while Logan and Torgon are totally not present they just straight up kidnapped the war master out from under those two yep two out from under half of the mournful horse's inner circle yes but the mournful itself did not hold rank 
this is true, but they did have a little bit of seniority over. No. Well, symbolically, because they were the War Masters in their circle most trusted. Yeah, they but, to make but decisions. Abaddon had symbol, symbolic seniority in Morival and actual seniority in being the first captain. This is true. Yes, that's a good point. He was a captain of the Cisterian, the first company in the entire freaking Legion. Yes. He was captain of. Yes. And what what number your company is matters. Yes. The lower the number, the higher the authority. Yes. Being first captain, he was second only to Horus. Yes. So, yeah, he's like, we're going, and that's the authority. Mm-hmm. But Loken and Torgan, I don't care. No. Put him on the stretcher, you know, the ginormous one. Let's go. <laughs> Loken and Torgan find out about this, and are not thrilled. And everybody's like, go, 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 go. Seal the doors. And the doors seal. I'm like, yeah, those ain't going to open until a result is had. Where's Erebus? He's inside as our emissary, I guess. That's what he said he would do. Erebus is just like, yes, yes, good. You know, a horse is in a coma. And uh, one of the serpent brothers, that's part of the warrior lodge <clears throat> yep. down below, it's like, cool, you want to um, do your thing? There's kind of a condition here. And Erebus is like, what? And he's like, and the guy's like, yeah, stab. <laughs> Stabs Erebus through the neck. And Erebus just, before we passes out from blood loss and being technically dead is like i'll deal with you in a second <laughs> joins horus in the like spirit world i guess kind of in the realm of chaos kind of in the realm of chaos as but he's wearing a disguise can't remember what it, it was um um fuck i can't remember not Malakurst, it was the one who died. Yeah, yes, the one who the pre, the prior herald, herald. Yeah, man, he's important in this situation. He is. We should erase this. But actually, I wasn't expecting to cover this much. Anyway, <clears throat> um, and he's kind of showing Horus potential futures. Well, he actually shows Horus what ends up being the actual future. Yes, but was billed as a potential future. Yes, he's built as this is the future if you continue serving the Emperor, whereas it's like, well, this is actually the future if you try to fight the Emperor and die. Yes. Being as, hey, you and your brothers, not all of you are remembered. In fact, you are deliberately forgotten and erased from Imperial record as if you never existed. Yes. Everything that you've worked to achieve these past 200 years, gone. Completely unremembered. Which another another one of those wonderful prophecies in 40K where trying to prevent it from happening causes it to happen. Kind of a running theme, and it's a very much a running theme in 40k's lore. Yeah, which is why Angron became Angron. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> sure is, Nathan. <laughs> it's also why a lot of things have happened. That is. Um. Yeah, 40k is very good at like setting up a prophecy just to cause it to happen. Yes, and meanwhile, while Airbus is doing this, Magnus is just like, um, that's fucked. I'm not okay with that, but um. My hands are kind of tied here because I'm not supposed to do the thing. But he does the thing anyways. But he does the thing, and he tries to warn Horus. Well, and uh, he even points out, I'm at least coming at you, showing you who I am. Whereas this serpent, and then just grabs the face of his herald. Of his herald, and just rips it the fuck off, and it's like, Old man Erebus! <laughs> Fucking Scooby-Doo's him in front of Horus, and Horus is like, what the flying shit is going on? And Erebus is just like... Okay, yeah, I, like, sort of lied about who I was, but only to make the truth more palatable to you, coming from a more familiar and trusted long-term face than me, who's only been around for a little bit. Like, I may have come to you under a veil of deception, but everything I said was technically true. And I was just like, no, it fucking wasn't. And I was like, enough! Come to a decision. Everyone out of my head. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> Gets up. I was like, cool. 
we're doing this. He, Horus then begins to fall into chaos. And Harry is just like, yay, also, do you do Stanby? Crunch. Yeah. <laughs> Told you I'd deal with you in a second. Reports back to Lorgar, and Lorgar is like, awesome. All is according to plan. Yeah. Man, we, uh, skipped way ahead in my notes here. <laughs> also, the, like, the last ten minutes wasn't even in my notes. Anyway, we've covered this before. Istvan happens, the drop side happens, shit goes sideways. Legions are per the initial trader legions are purged Istvan 3. That wasn't great. Then the loyalists are dealt a horrendous blow at the drop side massacre. Yes. Also not great. Depends what side you're on. Well, yeah. But the word bearers weren't at Istvan 3. No. They didn't purge their ranks there. They didn't have to. They purged their ranks in a different way. Because there were still some amongst the word bearers ranks that Lorgar's just like, your heart is in the right place, but your head is not capable of thinking correctly here. You gots to go. Now, at the time of the heresy, the legion was then estimated to be about 150,000. I think the second largest legion? Uh, closer to like third or fourth. Third or fourth, whichever. Um, the way that the word bearers purged their ranks, at least at first, was the unveiling of the Furious Abyss, which ended up being a class of brand new warships. Um, the Furious Abyss was captained by Fleet Captain Zadkiel, um, sent on sent to, to attack McTrag and Ultramar. That kind of is a kind of a foreshadowing such on, at the onset of the Shadow Crusade. It ended up being kind of ultimately a deliberate suicide mission by order of both Erebus and the Primarch, because Zadkiel, very fanatical, very zealous, couldn't think big picture. He let bitterness and hatred of the Ultramarines call out his mind and just wouldn't be able to see the bigger picture. It wouldn't be useful. It would all be more detrimental to the Legion than helpful. As this is happening, so does Kalf. That's how they also purged the ranks. Kalf was kind of put in charge under the command of Corferon, Erebus's... Or not Erebus, sorry. Lorgar's adoptive father before the Emperor showed up. Um, Corferon says, you know, I'll gut the Ultramarines' ranks here. Everything will be fine and dandy. I'll even kill Gilliman. And, and Lord Rush is like, like, I want to believe you, but like, <laughs> can you just like do that thing and not change your mind at the last second? And oh, I don't know, do something stupid like try to convert him? And Gorfeon's like, of course, I'll do the, I'll just do exactly that thing. To his credit, the ambush goes off pretty well. But the thing is, it would have been a lot more effective if it had been against anyone but the Ultramarines. <laughs> Especially, you know, the majority of the Ultramarines with their Primarch there. Uh, Kalth was one of their primary planets. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. The Kalth the, the betrayal such ambush went very well for the Warbearers. It was ultimately Warbearers' victory. They achieved what they wanted to do. They murdered the sun and made the planet surface completely uninhabitable. But Corferon didn't do all the thing that he was supposed to do. He did try to convert Gilliman when he had him dead to rights. Like, Corferon beat the snot out of Gilliman. Like, in a big way. Gilliman, like, you know, Gilliman mounts a counterattack and boards Corferon's flagship, fights his way to the bridge, and, you know, challenges Corferon directly. You're like, I'm going to fucking destroy you. And Corferon's just like, okay. And just kind of like, Corferon's honor guard opens up, and Corferon's like, Come at me, bro. And Gilman's like, okay. Gets like within two steps, Corfair. And Corfair's like, alright, that's close enough. And just 
beats the shit out of Gilman and damn near kills him. Meanwhile, all the Ultramarines bodyguard that Gilman had are beaten back by the word bearers. And then Erebus leans down, or not Erebus, Corfaron leans down and just like, hey, so here's the deal. You don't have to die. You can totally just join us. And then Gilman's just like, you made an error. And Corfaron's like, um, you're dying. What error could I possibly have made? And Gilman leans a little bit closer. He's like, you didn't kill me when you had the chance. Reaches up and tears out Corfaron's primary heart. And then headbutts him away. And then Gilman's carried back by his honor guard because he's still super fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> Erebus was also there. But then when he saw that, you know, the Ultramarines had rallied and kind of turned the ambush on its head, he's like, yeah, I'm not going to chance it with a proper retreat with the ship. I'm just going to step through the warp. Steps he did onto, that a lot. He did. More convenient. Quicker. It is. Steps I mean, onto, if I had the ability to teleport anywhere I wanted, I mean, I'd be using that all the time. Yeah. No, yeah, no kidding. Like, than what gas. traffic? Yeah, rather than gas money. Yeah. I'll take possibly getting obliterated by demons of, over, like, Chicago level of rush hour traffic. <laughs> hey, then. I've been in Chicago rush hour traffic just going from the top north side of the city to the south side at, like, the peak of rush hour. I left my house at, like, three in the afternoon. I didn't even clear the city until seven. I was a little upset. <laughs> <clears throat> Yeah, I just avoid Chicago yeah. as much as I can. Yeah, but I had to go that way because I was going out east. And Yeah. 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 Yeah, you do that like the middle of the night. Yeah, I didn't do that thing. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Erebus like, well, shit's fucked here. I'm just going to go this way. And he steps onto Air, uh, Lorgar's flagship, the Fidelitas Lex. Right as it's about to come into orbit around the ultramarine, the ultramarine world, world of Armatura, their war world. This is where all people, all young ultramar citizens who will eventually become ultramarines, become ultramarines. This is where they are trained. This is where all their um, genetic augmentation takes place. This is also where the best of their most elite troops are sent to train the next generation of ultramarines. As well as all of their war material productions, factories, tanks, everything. Like, it is a tough world to crack. It is a complete suicide mission. At the outset of the Shadow Crusade, when Lorgar announces this to Horus, Horus is like, Yeah, but like, you also just sucker punched Fulgrim out of nowhere, and none of the other Primarchs were super okay with that, because only you and me understand that what's going on with that one. We'll cover that on another podcast. <laughs> Three was a long time ago, Nathan. I know. We'll get there. Um, Eventually. Yeah. We're still through 19 and 20 somehow. We do. 19's Raven Guard. I got that. Sorry, I meant the... Because there's... Oh, sorry. We already second 11. Out yeah, second 11. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or just like, listen, Laura, that's cool and all. Like, yeah, sure. Like, Ultramarines definitely need to be taken care of. But um, A, they outnumber you. B, the other Primarchs aren't super on board with you kind of growing a spine all of a sudden so as a show of good faith um i'm gonna need a little bit more from you on that one and of course like fine send a company send send one of your companies with me and horse is like i'll do you one better i'll send an entire legion with you meanwhile angron who's just kind of sitting there just kind of staring Turn off into shield. the middle distance like 
this little small smirk and just turns and looks up at Logar from sitting. She's like, <laughs> Logar's like, ah, oh, crap. <laughs> I got to babysit freaking Leroy. Yeah, well, it turns out kind of needed. Oh, yeah. Because they get to Armatura. And by that point throughout the Shadow Crusade, Logar kind of realized that the nails in Engron's brain are straight up slowly killing him. And Magnus shows up after getting Rawful stomped at Prospero. Hey. Um, and he's like, so, um, what's going on? Where are we? Surprise. A secret? No. Surprise. There's a subtle difference. Come on. <laughs> um, so what's the play here? It's like, well, Angron's dying. See, and there's a psychic projection and shows Angron... Shoulder charging a chimera, flipping it over. Well, the t- chimera bull rock, like, like, pedal to the metal at Angron, and Angron's just like, that's cute, shoulders it, and just, yeah, like you said, flips it. And Magnus is like, um, call it a hunch. He looks fine. Look, appears to be in fine health to me. Yeah, and Logar's like, no, he's dying. <laughs> it was at that point in the book where I was just like, I would, mm. you know, if that's, if that's dying, I want to be what Lorgar considers to be in fine health. Like, I wouldn't do anything productive with it. You know me, Nathan. The listeners at this point know enough of me to know that even if I had that kind of, like, Primark level of superhuman power, like, it was really, it would really just ultimately end up with me with a slightly taller basement (laughs) and slightly bigger keyboard and substantially bigger keyboard and computer everything. Like, I wouldn't do anything useful with it because I'm habitually lazy. And because it'd be funny to me. <laughs> um, but they get to Armatura. And then... T- and then... Um, Magnus is just like... So you know you're like literally about to die, right? Like, you gotta play here. And it's like... Lyra's like, well, yeah, look. The giant... You know, where the, this armada coming through. Abyss-class warship comes through. And, it's like, and Magnus is like, oh, cool. You built two. And Lyra's like, what? Uh, uh, no, 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 keep looking. And another one shows up. And he's like... I built three. <laughs> Surprise, motherfucker! Armatura, still not easy. Not great. It especially doesn't go well for either Angron or Lorgar. No. Angron gets buried under a bunch of buildings. Lorgar's like, oh shit, I need to go save him. Does so, and then... Warhound starts to step on him. Well, Warhound hits him with his plasma blast cannon. Twice. twice. And then Heavy Bolter. And then tries to step on him. But is intercepted. By probably the fucking coolest thing to ever happen in a Black Library book ever. Nathan, you want to take it from here? Titan crews are trying to put, crush Logar underfoot. And the prince is like, well, why aren't you stepping? We're trying. The servos are giving out. What's in the way? Angrod. Yeah, what's as the way? he's got the, shoulder, the foot of a Titan on his shoulders. He's like, yeah. But you might want to get out of here before I... You know, I can't hold this forever. Then Logar starts psychically trying to help. He's like, what, now you're helping? Yeah, like, now you want to be heroic? <laughs> yeah, but, like, the Titan crew is like, you know, put the foot down now. And the guy's just like, I'm trying. And then he turns around, and there's a fucking last pistol in his face. Like, foot down now. And then another crew member, like, looks out the Titan window. He's like, um, so the World Eaters, they're cheering. Because Angron's just like, yeah, I got this. Oh, God, that's heavy. <laughs> then one of their titans shows up with Ursus Claws. Primarchernia. Yeah, like, big way, like, joints, spinal cord, everything's popping and compressing. But he's holding it for no short amount of time, considering what the fuck it is. 
Um, doesn't go well for anyone involved, really. No. But ultimately, Armatura falls. Shadow Crusade proceeds. Um, we will talk more about Armatura on the World Eater, on a World Eater podcast because I don't think we've done one of those yet. Probably not. Maybe have. But man, there's a lot to say about that. Just that one battle. But the Shadow Crusade, ultimately, its goal is to conjure what's called the Ruin Storm. Ginormous warp storm to isolate Ultramar and pretty much the entire eastern half of the Imperium. Blocks out the light of the Emperor. And makes it impossible for them to get to Terra. Yep. But there's also another goal in mind that yeah. takes them to the planet of New Syria. Angron's homeworld. Which is still in the Ultramar system. Which is still in the Ultramar system. When I'm going to go ahead and point this, and, and admit this now. I listened to Betrayer a couple of times. It's a fantastic book. Wonderful. Um, it came out, what, like a year and a half ago? Oh, longer than that. Two years, something like that? Because it was, I want to say it was low 30s. That's right. And they're in the 50s now. Yes, and for... I believe. High for, 40s, low 50s now. For a better frame of reference for us, it had just come out when I'd first moved into HQ. Yeah, that's three years ago. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I only just made the connection earlier this year. I was like, holy shit, Angron was in Ultramar the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, goes there on purpose. Logar takes them there and just like, this is your which, legacy. Which that has a realization, oh shit, technically, Angron was one of, was a slave to um, Gilliman's father. Gilliman, that's right. Because they all went, they all got dispersed at the same time. They all crashed landed on their planets at the exact same time. Just the way the warp works. Yep. Which means I guess they technically grew up together. Which means that oh my god, Gilliman owned Angron. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So, took me almost three years to figure that one out, but it took me almost equally as long to realize oh my god, Angron was in Ultramar the whole time. Yeah. Uh, but they go to the Angron's homeworld because Lorgar has a plan. He has a scheme in mind to show Angron what his legacy, what his Gladiator Rebellion legacy truly was. Uh, which was apparently that it was taught that Angron, the Eater of Cities, fled at the last second and let his army die. Which is not what actually happened, but we'll get to that in another podcast. Angron hears this and is livid. He is mad. And orders not the bombardment of the world, but the systematic block by block, house by house, brick by brick, destruction and purge of everything in that world by both legions. And Lorgar's like, yes, this sounds like an excellent idea. <laughs> and at that point, I think Karn was like, wait a second, something's up. Because usually whenever Angron suggests that, you're just like, no. That's stupid. We've He's got things to do. He's tired of holding a leash. Yeah, like, something's up. Why are you suddenly super on board with this? This is weird. Why is this weird? And then Nail started saying so he was okay with it. Yes. And it goes about as well as you expect for a planet that has absolutely no Space Marine defenders. Until the last second when the survivors of the Kalth ambush show up. Including Gilliman. Who is also mad at what Lorgar and Angron have done to his 500 worlds. Gets into a duel with Lorgar specifically. And super has the upper hand because he's fucking mad. Like, he has fought with a cool head before, 
But this time he's letting the nails, his own personal rage sing a little he's bit. Got, he's, he's going green with the Hulk hands. Yeah. And he's just, at this point, he's kicking the shit out of Lorgar. Like, he breaks Lorgar's chest plate in a mirror of what Lorgar did to him on Monarchia. And Lorgar's like, oh, um, I'm kind of in trouble here. <laughs> and then Angron shows up. And for the first time in the entire Great Crusade, in the entire interaction with all of his other Primarchs, bellows the words, my brother, referring to Lorgar. Of all people, the one that Angron kind of hated the most out of all of them, or, like, respected the least, at yeah, least. Yeah, well, he was little. Yeah, and suddenly Angron is, like, mm. hella big brother protective over him and proceeds to kind of turn the tables on Gilliman while Lorgar's just, like... shit out of Gilliman. Yeah, well, meanwhile, Lorgar's kind of, like, on the ground, just like... Like fucking Loki and Hulk. It's <laughs> like, oh, wait, this is my cue. Right, and then he does a thing and turns Angron into a demon prince, which then stops the nails. And that was his ulterior motive for the Shadow Crusade as well. It was not only save Angron's life, but also um, give him a stat buff. Well, that's how he, that's the one way he could find to save yes. his life. Yes. Yeah, and I wish the timelines were a bit more clear on when shit happened. I understand that some of it is not necessarily possible because it happens in the warp, so who fucking knows? It could have happened, you know, like 30,000 years in the past or 100,000 in the future as far as the warp's concerned. It doesn't give a shit, but, like, it'd be nice to know if Angron was the actual first demon Primarch because there were some others, like, like ascended to demonhood. Yeah, yeah. Because um, actually the only two others, it was him and Fulgrim with you. Yeah, Fulgrim were the first two, and I want they Fulgrim didn't ascend for quite some time. Yeah. Because first he was possessed. That's right. And then he got better. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yep. Oh, he, he beat the demon out. Uh-huh. And then he ascended. Yes. By his own accord. Yes. Own volition. He engineered it himself. He ascended rather than being possessed. Yes. At the expense of Perkarabo. Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Sort of. Um, so I'm pretty sure Anagram was the first demon primarch. Yes. You know, the Warbears are doing similar shit kind of I don't all think over. Magnus had become demon primarch yet. No, he still hadn't, hadn't really found a corporeal form yet. He was still kind of recovering from... Well, he didn't really need one at that point. No, but like he was still kind of like very much in the war, just like, I don't want to participate in this yeah. anymore. Because that hurt. Well, he also got punished for trying to be loyal. Yeah. By a loyalist. Yes. But you see, if his warning was so important, he could have totally just sent an astropathic communication, or because he's a fucking Primarch, got on board his flagship and just gone to Terra and be like, That's so boring. Yeah, but like... Well, the first few things in the Thousand Suns book... Uh-huh. When they have to go past this thing that like nullifies psychic powers... like Yeah, going into there, we're only we, going to be space We're planes. just be Astartes. Just... Astartes. Want to run that by me again? Did you just the strongest fighting force ever? Uh huh. There's actually a similar. They're so used to their psychic abilities that it is their second nature to use them first. Mm-hmm. There's actually kind of a similar thing to that at the beginning of Betrayer, where it was describing the dynamic between Argaltal and Karn and their friendship. Yeah. Their unlikeliest of friendships. That um, one of them reminded the other that they were superhuman, and the other reminded their counterpart that they were only superhuman yeah, yeah. I'm just like hmm that is a weird but like oddly symbiotic and poetic 
um, yin and yang you got going there between like the two most unlikely of allies because at one point during the Shadow Crusade when they just kind of when both legions got a bit tense around each other it damn near came to blows like just straight up void war until some dark elder showed up and attacked because they thought that was the perfect time <laughs> and both legions like awesome distraction <laughs> um Meanwhile, Erebus does a thing in the Cygnus cluster, which we actually talked about on the Blood Angels podcast, because we've done this before! Yeah! And that doesn't go well, because Lorgar and Horus both told him, like, yeah, Sanguinius ain't gonna turn. No. And, and Lorgar's just like, he ain't gonna turn it, let me explain to you exactly why, and it's up to you whether or not you actually listen this time. <laughs> and he does, and the reason is, Sanguinius is perfectly loyal out of perfect fear because you know the whole angel wings thing in a secular secular yeah. empire it's like yeah i think i am the vision of what my father hates yeah i think something kind of went wrong so i will never do anything against the emperor so he doesn't have second thoughts about me i saw what he did to those other two yeah that's <laughs> right he mentions that yeah when when he's talking to horus about the um flaw of a thirst whatever he's like Horus like, tell father about it. Maybe he can help. And Sanguinius is like, I can't risk my legion becoming another lost and forgotten. And Horus is like, it wouldn't come. There's no way it would come to that. And Sanguinius is like, I can't chance it. It's like, wow. <laughs> so there's certain terms and conditions that the emperors love. Apparently, <laughs> I've yet to find anything that says the emperor loves any of his kids. True. In fact, Gulliman said. His father is a great person and a horrible father. That's true. Good point. Raise a good point. I mean, come on. He didn't even raise any of his sons. Yeah. No, he didn't. Yeah, 20 kids and the other people raised them. <laughs> Not on purpose. He was planning to raise them. Kind of. He did purposely betray the chaos gods. Yes. He just wasn't anticipating, you know, the kidnapping of his sons as a, as a consequence. Maybe he was. Yeah, that could to give be. Them, could the, to give them each their own flavoring. Yeah, and then further have you know further impetus to launch the Great Crusade. Uh huh. Man, we said it before, but we'll say it again. The Imperium—they're definitely not the bad guys, but they're, they ain't the good guys. They're—they're they're, they're definitely order. But they ain't 40K the good guys. Doesn't have good and evil. It has no. chaos and disorder. It has chaos and order. Yeah, yeah. Um. Heresy trucks along. And the reason we're lingering so much on the heresy with the word Paris is that's kind of where the majority of the lore comes from. You see Erebus popping up here and there throughout the books in 40k, specifically in the Autobus Galaxy in Flames. Mm-hmm. You'll see him pop up throughout all the novellas in there. Yeah. Usually getting his ass kicked, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. So heresy trucks along. Um and backpedaling a bit while Lorgar was in the warp for the first time with all the demon shit going on he was shown a vision of a potential outcome which is of the heresy failing and that he was shown exactly what would happen if he didn't follow certain steps um which he didn't cause he's like yeah but this is one of many possibilities and I'm not a puppet to you like Erebus is I'm doing this because it's what's for the good of humanity, as sort he believed. Yeah, I mean that's why the uh, that's why Alpha Aphirus joined. Yes, for, for the, the emperor. Go- for the good of the Imperium, I will join and cause the downfall of the Imperium. Yep, 
at the end of that book, while the free captain is looking up at Alpharius, you know, why have you done this? Why have you betrayed us? Alpharius looks down. Last line of the book, for the Emperor. Man, that was an awesome book five of the Horus Heresy series. <laughs> no, six. Seven. 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 Man. Legion was seven. Numbers. Yeah. Because uh, five was... Fulgrim. Fulgrim. Yes. And six... Short stories. No. No. Oh, and Sons of Angels. That's right. Kind of a forgettable book. I liked it. I liked it, oh, but... I liked the first half of it when I was just going through... Uh, before, before they were actually space marines. Before they were actually space marines. I liked that part more uh-huh. than once they became space marines. Because uh-huh. then it just kind of went downhill. Yeah. Heresy Church is long. It was better before they were Dark Angels. Kind of was, wasn't it? It was. Um, and even through all that, Johnson was still kind of a dick. Kind of, yeah. He was very detached and He was distant. very emo. Yeah. He was like, I don't feel like I belong. I like all of I'm you, but bored. I don't feel like I belong. <laughs> There's no one who can equal me bored because there's no one to challenge me. Luther's like, I didn't know. No. Luther's like, I would be the greatest warrior ever if you didn't exist. Yeah. If you'd never, if we'd never found you, if we'd, you know, if I had ever taken you in and raised you, I'd be the I'd greatest, be the greatest warrior, warrior on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Heresy Charges Long comes to its inevitable conclusion, which is that it fails. Aster- asterisk. It did not succeed under Horus' rule. No. Like, the traitors technically lost, but, like, did they really? The, the traitors lost, but... It's, so did the Emperor. Yeah, it really can't be saying that they... It was a pure... It was a pure victory at the absolute best. Let's consider it this way. The heresy hasn't ended. No. It's just kind of been a... Uh, it's been a quagmire standstill for 10,000 years. It got relocated. It got... It became a bunch of series of skirmishes here and there. It went from the doorstep of the Imperial Palace to the doorstep of the warp. And now it's kind of... And then, you know, other various doorsteps in between, but not in any sort of really huge major yeah. way that was, like, as big as it originally was. Till lately. <laughs> See where it goes. Yeah, but out of all the uh, trade legions they retreated to the Eye of Terror, the Warbearers were one of the few that retained... Um, coherency. Coherency and didn't get shattered or disbanded. Their lead... They... Remained under one banner, but, but their they, structure got a little bit more free-flowing and loose, based on need. They also tend to send their chaplains, Dark Apostles now, mm-hmm. to go serve alongside other warbands. Yes. Yeah. And their legion structure, as far as, like, unit structure, like, when they restructured it from companies, stuff like that, they, I don't even remember what it was, because the, the size of each formation very depending on its commander's needs yep rather than just a fixed structure like it was back in legion days which allows for a lot more flexibility and autonomy and versatility and very much a tool for the object scenario yes. rather than a one size fits all um for the f- after the initial failure of the heresy lorgar goes into seclusion to meditate on what went wrong and figure out how to um make it better make it better um Stays in exclusion meditating, but in his inner sanctum on what was the demon world? I've got this written down. My notes come in handy again. Ah, uh, Sycharis, which is where the Legion is largely based, as well as the factory world of uh, Galmec, which is in the Maelstrom. Which I need. We need to do. An, we need to talk about on a different podcast. Yeah, the f- demon world of Sycharis and the Avatar, and the Forge world Galmec in the Maelstrom. Yes. Um. 
and their kind of signature thing is that um, they'll go out and they'll send their apostles, they're either dark apostles or chaplains, which they're the only legion, the only traitor legion to retain that uh, rank within their structure on a legion-wide basis. Yes. Like as an official rank of office in the legion. Uh, there's kind of, there's more of a hallmark thing, like say a la Black Legion, whatever, it's just to rabble-rouse and be in charge of the cultist, really. Whereas the word bearers, like the rest of the legionaries, follow the word of the of the dark apostles as as if it was the law of lord or himself because it is because it is because they would not dare defy him no um but their signature thing is that they'll send those dark apostles and representatives out whatever to start cults and commit very specific acts of heresy and plant seeds of treason to further their own goals which hmm that sounds kind of familiar doesn't it yeah that sounds like the alpha legions thing and if you thought that, dear listeners, that's because you are smart individuals. It also sounds like what they did to start the heresy to begin with. Yes. He's preparing for the heresy part two. Yes, and it sometimes puts them in conflict with the Alpha Legion, which sometimes comes to the blows, but ultimately not for any real length of time, because they ultimately have the same goal. And let's be honest, Alpha Legion doesn't really stick around and fight long. Yeah. They choose their battles. If they if it's not a battle they're choosing, they'll retreat. Mm-hmm. If you are fighting full-on Alpha Legion Astartes, it is because they are allowing you to. Yes. If you're fighting full-on Alpha Legion Astartes, chances are you're... You lost two years ago. Yeah. Yes. Or longer. Yeah. Pretty much. And there's not a whole lot, like we said, there's not a whole lot going on with the word bearers in 40k lore. Not a whole lot. That is, that's really worth talking about that has a sort of consistent narrative. Um... And at the moment. Was that? At the moment. At the moment. It's built it's gearing up. Oh boy, is it gearing up. Um There's cool there's various cool short stories here and there. Um I wish I could remember any off the top of my head. There is one in um a Space Marines um omnibus or uh, collection, whatever it was, a Trader Space Marines one, uh, uh directories of the Space Marines, I think. Where it's a uh one of the imp- uh, inquisitorial black ships, you know, the ones that go run up rogue psychers. Yeah. Um, runs afoul of a word bearer ship and a Nurgle ship. Death Guard ship. And they kind of like, um, but we sort of call dibs, word bearers say, and Death Guard are like, mm, but maybe not though. And then the black ship disappears in a giant warp rift. And the Warbirds are like, you wanna, you wanna rethink that as they prime their cannons. And the Nurgles are just like, hold that thought. Warp tear reopens, ship comes out, caked in Nurgle filth, except for one part of the hull that's completely clean. And Nurgles like, we just saved you some time searching the ship. Anything of value is in that untouched part of the hull. We'll split the take with you. And the Warbirds like. Okay, square deal, but also, like, there were some of our warriors on that ship already. Um, what happened to them? And the Nurgle Warriors just like, ah, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out bad things happened to them, because that ship had been in the warp for a long time, because time flows differently in that it doesn't. 
And yeah, it also does. It does and it doesn't because Wibbly Wobbly. Time, well, time is something that is within our realm. Yes, it is not it's a concept. Not in, it's not inside of chaos. No. Um, so they go to board the ship, but they don't punch into that part of the hole because they don't, you know, want to vent it into space because they do some life scans and there's life signs in there because somehow they miraculously survived in there because what bullshit. Um, fighting their way through the ship and it's all going pretty well. They get the human psycher cargo. They split it and then at one point while the Nurgles are distracted, the Warbearers try to make a break for it. Nurgle Sorcerer sees this and he goes from jovial and having a grand old time killing the now Nurgle-ified once Warbearers that have just gone completely feral. Goes from jovial and happy to like, oh, you done fucked up. He's got a staff, just a one of, like, you know, the single, like, menacing boom with it. Suddenly, the two lead word bearers that were making a break for it with, because they were the only ones who survived with the human cargo, find themselves in a very fetid, verdant swampland with a very sickly, warp infested looking sky. And one of the word bearers is like, um, where are we? One of the swamp plant like fruit things drops down out plops a plague bearer freshly born and the other word bearer is like we're in the garden. Nurgle sorcerer just straight up punted them to the garden of Nurgle itself and the one he's like where one word bearer is like where were we? It's like so what do we do now? veteran word bearer is like last as long as we can because that's literally all that's left for us now there's no way off this world nope so sometimes word bearers get their comeuppance oh yeah you look like you got a bit of lore there for us Nathan yeah I found a wonderful thing that's in the current codex for Chaos Marines nice little quote from the word bearers yeah I murdered thousands for the emperor and all he gave me he gave me nothing but damning silence now his lapdogs yap for every life I take. Will the gods get, promise me the galaxy? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Like, everyone, I'm a staunch loyalist, but, like, only because that's where my space Viking werewolves hang out. You could do those in for chaos. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah. Because then it wouldn't be like a truly power wolf themed army cursed with lycanthropy but still devoted to the emperor yeah wouldn't have the same sort of flavor they're just like yeah cursed with lycanthropy and loving it <laughs> <laughs> you have uh, dual armies Nathan you know me I know you have dual armies space versus space marines Nathan I struggle <laughs> enough with one army what is, what's this two army bullshit you got raven guard When's the last time you've ever seen me do anything? Oh, yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. My point exactly. I know. <laughs> Nathan just kind of did the look around like, so what the fuck, bro? Gesture. What, the, what else are you doing? What, what? Well, I mean... An hour a day keeps the gray away. Potentially. Except in the Space Wolves case. Where it just adds more. It kind of changes the hue of it. Yeah. <laughs> it makes it slightly darker before making it just a touch lighter again. Yeah. Because dry brushing. Yeah. 
We've lost the plot. <laughs> but, I mean, there really wasn't much plot left with the word bears to no, talk about. No, no, it's kind of... Um, but the very, very plot... Speaking of plot, very plot important to the overall state of the galaxy as a whole. Yeah. And, you know, they're... Yeah, sure, Horus was the arch traitor, but his wasn't the first heart to turn. Also, let's be honest, the first book of Logar, the Levitico, the Lictitio Divinitatis, yeah. yeah. That's had more impact on the Imperium as a whole than anything else any of the uh-huh. Primarchs have done. Mm-hmm. You want to know the kicker? He didn't um, write it with unauthor credit out of hum- humility. He just wanted to spread the word of the emperor he didn't want to he didn't want to take credit for it just the lictitia divinitatis you know worship the you know the imperial creed whatever but he didn't you know also put by lorgar aurelian right under the title he didn't take credit for it but he knows no one else does but i'm sure he still does i'm sure he's a little upset that after all the chastisement and punishment he got for doing so, yeah, still stuck. Yep. Probably, probably the first time he came out of the, the Ward Bears came out of the warp. Not him because he hasn't left the warp since the heresy. But the first time the Ward Bears came out of the warp afterwards and after the Imperial created cult had taken root and saw all this stuff and like you know raided one of the first, one of the Imperial temples and like pulled up the holy book. It's like, wait a second. Damn it! Lorgar's gonna be pissed. All this, and he's still. Yeah, I know. Um, Golan was pissed when he woke up. Yeah, he's like that thing. You mean I destroyed the city? Uh huh. The whole heresy happened, and you guys are worshiping. Or you guys are not only worshiping the emperor. You, you, you guys are using the words of a fallen brother to worship the emperor, the one who started the heresy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, everyone's like, yep, that's about right. Just, oh, my blood pressure. Ha. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Well, that was fun. It was. And there was a lot to cover there as far as plot important stuff. And for those of you keeping track of number podcast episode um, numbers at home as far as lore council goes, next one is 18, which means the 18th Legion which means... Hey, Patrick. We're about to talk about your salamanders, buddy. I promise we're going to do it right, though. We'll at least try very hard. Yeah, because I'm pretty sure if we mess this up, we'd never hear the end of it. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> um, it's one thing for us to mess up our own legions. We mess up someone else's. Particularly the salamanders, because haven't they been through enough? <laughs> Actually, <laughs> also, they do like fire. Yeah. So, I'm, th- I'm going to make a- one last joke, and then I'm going to wrap up. So, the whole, haven't they been through enough thing? Yeah, they may have been through enough. But now they got to go through me. <laughs> I'm kidding. We're going to do it right. Or, at least, make a genuinely concerted attempt to, unlike, you know, when we... Don't worry, I'll be here. Yeah, we've learned our lesson. <laughs> uh... The Arch Heretic is a voice of region, or voice of reason. Yeah. World weird. It is. Remember that last tangent? 
<laughs> sure, sure, sure. Remember that time a couple of years ago where there was a um, there was a malfunction with the Large Hadron Particle Collider, and everyone was super relieved that it didn't have any sort of universe alternating <laughs> consequences. It may have. Are we sure about that? I'm not. Because if Nathan the Arch Heretic is the voice of reason at Shield Wall, we might want to reevaluate that theory. <laughs> but until we have the time for that, thank you all very much for listening. And we've only got a couple more legions left to cover before we're out of in order stuff to do. So if you have requests for what you want us to do once we're done with the twenty, with once after episode twenty rolls around, as far as what legions we may and not covered yet, let us know as well as any other po- um, topics you want us to cover. Speaking of which, Aiden, Halloween's rolling around. It is. We had a pretty awesome Halloween special last year as far as talking about Nagash and all the undead stuff. Oh, yeah. It's like, what would you, what do we do last year? That was, a re- that was one of our particularly long podcasts, and man, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Took a long time because that was a lot of lore to cover. There's a lot to cover with Nagash. What do we talk about this year? I don't know. Maybe one of the listeners has an idea. I think that's a good idea. It sounds scripted, but it really isn't. <laughs> Even if it's... Like, you, you guys, you know how this works here. Even tangentially related to, related to Halloween. Give it your best shot. But until next time, for the Salamanders. Oh, oh. Oh? We could do... Because we did Undead. Yes. And there's not really enough on, like, all the other Halloween-esque monsters individually. Uh-huh. But there is stuff such as the Skin Wolves. Yes. And I'm sure I could come up with more. This is harkening do... back to the, I think, first episode of Lore Council that came... No, one of the episodes of Lore Council that came out earlier this year, I think not long after Adepticon, where I realized that we had that one episode in the backlog where we talked about all the magical creatures. Did we? Yeah. And we talked about all the magical lores. Magical lores and some of the magical creatures. Okay. But we could... It was we mostly the magical lores, you're right. Yeah. We could focus more on the creatures. Yeah. It'll be a monster mash. It will be a monster mash. All right. Unless someone else has a better idea. I bet they do. They probably do. But that's a pretty good they one. They might even tell us. They might even tell us. Please I, do. Yeah, please do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. For realsies. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram for your usual feed of hobby-related stuff. Um, and wherever you're listening to it, us on, be it SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, wherever, don't forget to subscribe to that so you get all of this lovely story time as soon as it goes live. And if you feel so inclined, give us a little rate to let us know how we're doing. But until next time, we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.